Father, we pray with the psalmist who said, send out your light and your truth and let them lead us. Let them lead us to the dwelling places of God and to your altar, to God our exceeding joy. Help us this morning, Father, to hear great news of a fabulous joy that is for all the peoples, that a Savior was born for us. We thank you so much for the opportunity to come and to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we just pray that you will go before us in this service, that you will give me clarity and wisdom to speak, and you will give the people ears to hear. Thank you so much, Father, for all that you give for us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there are many Christmas carols and hymns that we love to sing every year. We sang a a medley of them this morning, and they help our heart to vent the praise that we have inside towards our Savior that was born on the day that we call Christmas. And I'd like to test your uh, carol aptitude this morning. Um, I'm going to read the first line and phrase of a hymn, and I want you to give me the, I want you to finish it, okay? Let's see how you do. Hark the herald angels sing. Great. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Very good. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. You got it. All right. Angels we have heard on high. You're starting to fade. (laughs) What was that one? Um, How about this one? Oh, come all ye faithful. Amen. And this is a favorite. Go tell it on the mountain. (laughs) Let's try it again. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. And then the second set set goes, go tell it on the mountain that what? Jesus Christ is born. You guys are good. You guys are good. I'm not sure who's better, the first service or the second service. I I think you guys have a slight edge. Um, There's a hymn that we sing that even we sang this morning and the instrumentals uh, played for us just before I got up. It's a song that asks a very piercing question that you must answer. It's a question that cannot go unanswered because your eternity hangs in the balance depending on how you answer it. It's the question, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Who is he? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. It's a compelling question. What child is this child that we're calling Christ? There's many people who want to offer a lot of different answers to that today. People have been asking that since the first Christmas, and they're asking it now. And they're trying to answer the question by saying, well, he was a a good man. He grew up to be a great teacher, for sure, that he had uh, a great ministry of doing miracles and signs, and he was a healer. He had deep religious conviction and passion. Some think he was a misunderstood martyr. And and you could just fill in the blank. The list goes on and on and on to try to answer the question, what child is this? And as I said, people have been asking that question for centuries. And this morning we're going to answer it from Luke chapter 1. I would invite you to open your Bibles and turn there. Luke chapter 1. To give you a little background as you turn, Luke is a gospel account and a narrative of the life of Christ, starting with his birth and going all the way to his death and resurrection. It provides a historical and theological and practical narrative of all the events of Christ, including his atonement. And by the time that we get to Luke chapter 1, which if you're using one of our pew Bibles is on page 43 in the New Testament, we pick up the story in a town called Nazareth, where a young woman named Mary lived. Now Mary was probably junior high, high school age, probably between the ages of 12 and 16, just a young, young woman. And she was engaged to a man named Joseph. Now, they were legally bound together even though they hadn't consummated their relationship. 
but they were engaged. And six months prior to verse 26, which is really where we're going to start this morning, six months prior to that time, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary's relatives, uh, Zechariah, who's he and his wife have no children. Every time you see the angel Gabriel appear, he's always coming with a message from God. That's his purpose, to dispatch a message from the king. And so he shows up and he tells Mary's relatives, Zacharias and Elizabeth, that they're going to have a son. And his son is going to be named John. And he's going to be the forerunner to this Messiah. 400 years and God had been silent. No word from God. And all of a sudden, Zechariah is in the temple one day and an angel appears and stands in front of him. A shocking moment for sure. And he tells him that the, that the salvation that they've been praying for year after year after year is about to come to pass. And God is going to use that man, Zechariah, to produce a son named John who will go before the Christ and who will prepare the hearts of the people for the king to, to let them receive his message. And if you look back in Luke 1 to verse 16, you'll see this. This is the word of Gabriel to Zechariah in the temple. It says, And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him, that is the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's a, that's a stunning event, to say the least. Six months from that day, the same angel appears to Mary. And he comes into Mary and says, Now, Mary, you are going to be the vessel that God uses to carry the Messiah. You're going to bring forth from your womb the promised one, the one who will deliver the nation and redeem the people. Let's pick up the story in verse 26, and let's read it all the way to verse 38. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What child is this? The text in front of us is going to unfold four penetrating attributes of this child. It's going to unfold who this baby is so that you and I can come to grips with him and give him the proper response that he requires. Four penetrating attributes of this baby called Jesus. Number one, this baby is God. This baby lying in a manger is God. Look at verse 31. Gabriel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Just stop there. Let me key in first on that word great. It says he will be great. 
The Greek carries across the idea here that he himself will possess an intrinsic quality of greatness. That he is great, not because greatness has been bestowed upon him, not because somebody gave it to him, but he himself, in and of himself, is great. What's the source of his greatness? Verse 32. It is that he is called the Son of the Most High. This is another way of saying that he is the Son of God which is what he says in verse 35. But the reason that he is great is because he is the Son of God or the Son of the Most High. Now, this term, Most High, is used 50 times in the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament, to describe God. And the idea of being Most High is that God is the highest, and there is no one greater, there is no one higher. He has a rank and a position that is peerless. He stands alone. And it says that this one born in your womb, Mary, is his Son, the Son of the Highest. The reason that He is great is because He is one in the same with Him whose rank is highest. That's why He's great. Now this phrase, Son of God, probably doesn't pierce you like it did when the people in that day heard it. There's a little ambiguity in our times. What does this mean? Does this mean that Jesus was kind of a sub-God? Does this mean that He was kind of a lesser God? Or What does the term Son of really connote here? This This term son of means one in essence and nature of. If you are considered the son of Joseph, you are one in the same with the nature of Joseph. If you are called the son of God, you are one in the same in essence and nature as God. What he's saying here is very clear that Jesus, this baby who is born, is God. You have God in your womb, Mary. Further, also in verse 35, it talks about the the sinless perfection of this baby that only God has. He's called the Holy One or the Holy Child. But what I want to show you and what what you have to see if you're going to come and adore Him is that this baby is God. And I want to unfold this for you for just a moment. If you'll turn over to John chapter 1. We looked at John chapter 1 this morning already, but I I want to go back and I want to show you that the baby in the manger, the baby in her womb is the creator of all. John chapter 1. He's one and the same with God. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. That's a synonym John is using for Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He is God. Skip down to verse 14. And this Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Only one person with glory, that's God. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now watch verse 15. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a, underline it, higher rank than I. And look at this. Why? What's it say? For he existed when? Before me. Now, question. Who was born first, John or Jesus? John. Six months before. The text just said that. What is John saying? He's saying, even though I was born first, the one who comes after me existed from all eternity. He is a pre-existent one. There's only one who's pre-existent, and that's who? That's God. That's God. Turn over to chapter 5. I want to show you in this chapter that, that when Jesus claimed to be the son of his father... 
in the sense in which he was speaking, he was claiming deity. And the, the people to whom he spoke knew this very, very, very clearly. John chapter 5, starting in verse 16, the context, Jesus has just done some, some miracles here. In verse 16 it says, For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But look, look at Jesus' retort here. He answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself what? Equal with God. When, when the angel said, Mary, the, the baby in your womb is the son of God, one and the same with God, he is God, you can imagine how penetrating that was. This is God. He's one and the same essence as his father. John chapter 8. John, by the way, the gospel of John is clear about this point. He wants you to be absolutely crystal clear on who this Jesus is. John chapter 8. Let's start reading in verse 48. The Jews said Jesus had a demon. They thought they, they couldn't understand what he did because their hearts were predisposed to unbelief. And so whatever miracles he performed, they explained away by the, doing it of the power of the devil. And so verse 48, the Jews answered and said to Jesus, Do we not rightly say that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? You have a demon, Jesus. Look at verse 49. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, which is the real issue here, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon, because Abraham died, and the prophets also, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? Or you could say, what kind of person or child are you? Who are you? Jesus answered, verse 54, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. But it is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. God is my Father. Now look at this, watch this. And you have caught, not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I'm a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Now here, here we go. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. In other words, let me tell you something about Abraham, who's greater than who. Abraham looked ahead to me. That's who I am. He looked ahead to me and he saw what I was going to do for him and he was glad. And the Jews responded in verse 57, you're not even 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? Look at this. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, what? I am. Jesus took on himself the Old Testament name for God. He said in that statement, I am the I am of the Old Testament. I am that I am. I always was and I always will be. I am God. Look at their response, verse 59. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why did they want to stone him? For blasphemy. Because he claimed to be who? God. Chapter 10. Start verse 27. Jesus, speaking of his role as our shepherd, says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life. There's only one who gives eternal life. 
I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Look at verse 30. I and the Father are what? One. Not just one in purpose, one in mission, one in essence and nature. They're of the same. The baby in the manger is God. Think about that. Think about the fact that that the, the God who created the universe is in a manger. The God who is everywhere is now confined to a body in maybe seven pounds, eight ounces. You look and you see the God who knew everything, having to learn how to walk, having to learn how to talk, having to grow teeth, having to, to learn math. He had to ask questions. But he's God. This baby is God. As it says in Colossians chapter 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Colossians 2.9. Listen to this statement. For in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in a bodily form. That is crystal clear. Hebrews 1.3, He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature. Jesus is God. The baby that they all came and fell before is the creator of all, God Almighty. This is the baby. This is His attribute. He is God. And there's no question about it. Now, what's interesting about this is that Micah chapter 5, don't turn there, but maybe note it if you're taking notes. Micah chapter 5 makes a connection between the baby being born in Bethlehem also being God. Listen as I read and see if you can see this. Micah 5, 2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth from me, this is God talking, to be ruler in Israel, and his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. That's only one person. The person who's going to be born in Bethlehem to bring forth a ruler existed from all time. It says, And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and this one will be our peace. That's exactly this baby. This isn't just a little baby. This is the maker of heaven and earth. Listen to the Christmas carol that we sing. Wrap around this theology. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting what? Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Listen to this. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Go back to Luke chapter 1. I want you to see that this is just no ordinary baby. That the baby who is born, the baby that we are celebrating is God. Luke chapter 1. I want you to look back at verse 35 for a final sort of connection that the angel Gabriel makes about the identity of this baby. Luke chapter 1 verse 35. He's answering Mary's question, how is this going to happen? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High, Most High, there it is again, will overshadow you. And for that reason, that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Do you see the connection that he's trying to make there? He said there's a connection between God coming and impregnating you as a virgin and his deity. He is the Son of God, and that is inextricably linked to the virgin birth. You say, why is that? Why is that? 
Now think about it for just a second. If Jesus is the result of conjugal relations between Joseph and Mary, then he is a what? Well, he's a man, right? He's a man. And man born of man is a sinner. Because he carries on the sin from Adam. He's born with a sin nature and culpability. God bypassed all of this by impregnating Mary. He went through it. He just passed over it. And he went in and supernaturally put into Mary's egg Jesus, the creator of all. And, and, and he had to bypass all of that for that reason. And what, I'm, what the point is here is if you trash the virgin birth, then you have no deity. If you don't hold to the virgin birth of Christ, then Jesus can't be God. And the angel makes that clear. He says it's for this reason that he's going to be called the Son of God. So this baby is the king. Number two, not only is he God, number two, he is man. He is man. Look back at verse 31. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Now, here we are again. Here's the term son. Son meaning one in essence and nature of. Now, I think there's also implied here that he was a boy, that he was going to be masculine. But the idea here is that he is a human. He is God, as we just saw, but he is also a man. He is the perfect God-man. He's both. He's 100% God and 100% man. Not 50% God and 50% man. Fully God and fully man. 100% in one person. How that fits together, I don't know. But the scripture teaches it. Do you remember Jesus? I mean, he's called the Son of God, right? But do you remember his favorite term for himself in the Gospels? What was it? Son of man. He called himself the Son of Man because he wanted to emphasize that not only is he one and the same in essence and nature as God, but he is one and the same in essence and nature as man. And you say, okay, um, so what? We know he's man. In fact, that's the biggest stumbling block that people have, right? They're like, you're just a man. How is it that you claim to be God? Uh, They couldn't get past that. They knew he was a man. But you say, why is it so important that Jesus actually became a man? Why couldn't he just come down as God and do the thing and make it over? Because God can't die. But the God-man can die. You see, Jesus' mission was to come and die in the place of men, as a man, as a substitute. And see, in order for him to endure the eternal, infinite, holy wrath of God, he had to be infinite, eternal, and holy God. But in order to stand in the place of men, he had to be a man. So God had to co-mingle humanity and deity in one person to produce the perfect God-man, and Jesus was that. That makes for a perfect mediator. You see, in ancient times, a mediator, a, a true mediator, and a good mediator fully represented both sides. They, they were fully able to represent this side, and they were also, when they came to the table, fully able to represent this side, so that they were, they were perfect go-betweens. And the idea here is that Jesus himself fully brought in representation to God and fully brought in representation to man as the God-man and brought the two together. He was a perfect mediator because he hung on a cross suspended between earth and heaven, redeeming and reconciling God and men. He is the perfect mediator. That's why he had to be a man. If he's not a man, you're not saved because he can't die for you. And God himself, if he doesn't become a man, cannot die. Only man can die. And only man can die for man. And praise God, bless God, he died for us. Which leads to the third feature of this child that you must see. Number three, he is Savior. He is Savior. Look back down at the text with me, if you would. Verse 31. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb, the angel says, and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Now, the angel told Mary that God already had his name picked out. You might think, well, what do you want to name? You know, my wife and I are thinking between names. What do you want to name him? And it wasn't if Joseph and Mary were sitting around saying, what do you think, Tim, James, you know, Jack? You know, what do you want to name him? You know, the angel came and said, his name is going to be Jesus. And he picked that name for a very specific reason. Because the name Yeshua literally means, get this, God or Yahweh is salvation. That's his name. His name carried the essence of what his mission was and what his purpose was and who he was. He was salvation. He embodies it to the fullest. It says in Matthew twenty one twenty one, the parallel, you will bear a son and you will name him Jesus because it is he who will save his people from their sins. He is the Savior. He is the God-man Savior. He came for a purpose to, to die on your cross to endure the wrath meant for your sins, that in exchange you might have his free gift of righteousness by faith. What an exchange. He took your place so that you could take his. Inconceivable. Turn over to chapter 2 and see this all the more. Chapter 2, verse 10. The angel appeared to the shepherds in their field as well. Pick it up in verse 8, chapter 2. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Verse 10, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. That's always the response. I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. What's the joy? What's the news? Verse 11, For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a what? A Savior. Who is Christ the Lord, or literally Christ God? Christ God is born for you as a Savior. That's His purpose for coming. It says in Acts 4 that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Him who knew no sin to be what? Sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Listen to 1 Timothy 2. should be familiar words. God, our Savior, desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and get this, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. He's your Savior. The reason that they come and bow down certainly is because he is God. But the reason that they come and bow down is because this baby is the Savior of the world. That's why we praise him. Didn't Jesus himself say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Finish it. And no one comes to Father but through me. He's the Savior of all men. One final attribute of this baby. He is king. He is the king. Go back to Luke 1 and look at verse 31. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord, here, key in here, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Isn't that great? The baby that is in your womb, Mary, is not only God, not only man, not only the Savior of the world, but he is the coming monarch that has been promised. 
and he is going to establish his kingdom, and the kingdom will be forever. Remember, even this morning in the drama that they were looking for what? The, Jeru- the, the, the redemption and the consolation of Israel. They were looking for redemption. They were longing for redemption. And the word came to Mary's ears that here is the Redeemer, the King. He's going to save his subjects and then reign over them forever on earth. Isaiah 9, familiar words. Listen as I read. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And here's what's unique about this son. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, or Father of Time, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. I mean, that is crystal clear that the one who was coming to be the Redeemer was going to be the king. And not only was he going to be a king, but he was going to be from David's lineage and he was going to sit on David's throne and reign from Jerusalem. He was in the line of David. 2 Samuel 7 and Psalm 89 make this a crystal clear point that the Messiah had to come through the line of David. He came through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all the way down through David. And guess what? All the way through Joseph and Mary. Matthew 1 and Luke 3 make the point very clear that Jesus, both from Mary and from Joseph, had right to step into the role as king because they were direct descendants of David. When Jesus was born, God sovereignly wove together the line and even the parents that the Messiah would have so that he would be able to step in and reign as king, king over all. And his kingdom, verse 33 says, would include the house of Jacob. That's just another way of saying the nation of Israel. He would reign over the nation of Israel and it would be forever with no end. This is the king. No wonder they came and brought gifts fit for a king. Gold, frankincense, myrrh, those are, those are gifts for a king. So what child is this? Who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom shepherds greet with anthems sweet. Who is he? He's number one, the eternal God, who came in the form of a man to die and hang on your cross, to endure the wrath meant for your sins as your Savior, so that then he would do a work in your life where he would begin his reign in your heart and then ultimately forever as the coming king and conqueror. Mark Lowry wrote a song that has lyrics that really emphasize this point. You probably know it. It's called, Mary, Did You Know? And I just want to read it, and I want you to see if you can pick out the attributes that the angel spoke of to Mary. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? And this child that you deliver will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that a baby boy would calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you've kissed your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb, and the sleeping child you're holding is the great I Am? That's profound. That is so profound. He had to do more writing like this and less comedy. So what do you do with with this baby? 
What do you do with this, this baby boy who is born, who is God and man and Savior and King? You can't remain neutral, can you? He demands a certain response. And I want you to see how Mary responded, and I want you to respond the same way. Look back at verse 28 and see how she responded. The angel came in and said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But look at her response, verse 29. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And look at how the angel had to react to her response. Do not, verse 30, be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. She was afraid. That's what happens when any angel comes around. Instant panic. And she was afraid. Why? Two reasons. Number one, because the, the, the shimmering glory of God, because the angel just left God's presence to come to her, he was just beaming with radiance. And you would be afraid. But I think there's a second reason. That glory and that shimmering, shining uh, element of, of the angel's appearance and radiance also reflected the holiness and the glory of God, which exposed her what? Sin. And she saw that she stood in the presence of holiness. And she saw herself as an exposed sinner. You can read her Magnificat in verse 47. She says, I need a Savior. And God has provided one. She knew she was a sinner and that she needed a Savior. But she stood in the presence of holiness. Now, it's interesting that the angel responds with comfort. Don't be afraid. Now, if, because, because God's favor is on you. Or, or literally, you are full of grace, Mary. Um, not in and of yourself. God has looked on you with favor. That's what he means. God has favored you. Not, Mary, because there's anything intrinsic in yourself. But in order that God might be on display, he's chosen to use you. That's what he's saying here. And you have a reason to be afraid, Mary, if God's grace is not on you. But as it is, the Lord's with you. His favor rests upon you. So the first element of her response was fear. She was afraid. Whenever you stand before holy God and His glory in any capacity, you are afraid, which led her to a proper understanding of grace. Isn't this interesting? That God would choose to use, in her words, a bond slave and choose to use a woman of humble estate, this, this insignificant woman, to be the bearer of the Messiah, that is grace. There's a reason why he said, God's grace is on you. What's about to unfold is also of grace. And what you see here, Mary, is God's grace at work in your life, not because of something in you, not because you had some worthiness in your own to commend you to God, where God said, boy, look at Mary, I'm going to use Mary. In fact, the opposite. He took a, a lowly, humble, meek, prepared heart and bypassed everybody else to go to her to use her to bring forth the Messiah. I think that's interesting. Because just north of there sat the king, the Jews, the chief priests, the theologians, the scribes, and the Pharisees. They all sat around and talked about the Messiah while he was being born in Bethlehem. I think that's so interesting that the shepherds, or that the angels never appeared to them, but appeared to the shepherds. And, and somehow drew foreigners from the east to come with their entourage through and look for him. And you remember what happened when they showed up in the palace? So where's the king? King? What are you talking about, king? Why? Because God didn't reveal it to them. He chose to reveal it to those whose hearts were prepared and didn't trust in their own righteousness. Their hearts were ready to receive the Messiah. Which really asks another question, which is how Mary responded, faith. How's your faith? Verse 34, we see Mary. Mary asked a question of the angel. She said, how can this be since I am a virgin? 
And the angel answered and said to her, Well, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and he'll overshadow you. And for this reason, he'll be called the Son of God. And then he adds to strengthen her faith, faith, verse 36. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. Look at, look at this. For nothing will be impossible with God. Notice Mary's response. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Look at that faith. I mean, it's one thing to say, uh, Lord, this just doesn't make sense. Do you remember Zacharias? Just in the chapter, just in the, earlier in the chapter, the same section before, remember, Zacharias is standing there. He's praying for the salvation of the nations. He's offering incense right outside the Holy of Holies. Angel pops on the scene. You're going to bear a son. Your prayers have been answered for salvation because I'm going to do it through a Messiah, and your son is going to take part of it. And he's like, I'm old. It doesn't work anymore. Skeptical. My wife and I, it just doesn't happen. Now, he should have thought back to Abraham and Sarah, right? Which, interestingly, in Abraham and Sarah said the same thing that the angel said to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. They should have looked back and modeled faith. But he didn't, and so God struck, struck him. He couldn't talk. He couldn't talk. Because of his unbelief. Now, what's interesting about this whole thing is Mary's questioning at first glance seems to be almost the exact same question. How can this be? I mean, how is this? But he didn't strike Mary. The text tells us what was going on in their heart. The angel said to Zacharias, you didn't believe what I said. He says to Mary, Mary asks a question and, and, and later on it says that she believed. I'll show you that in a second. But, he, but he asked, she asked the question, and, and her question was more in the realm of astonishment, like, how is this possible? That, that, that you would, would, would bring me news of God's favor. Why would God favor me? It was more of an astonishment and a more of a... And, and frankly, I mean, explain the virgin birth, <laughs> right? I, mean, I understand that it happened conceptually, that God impregnated Mary and took Mary's egg and put Jesus inside. How does that fit together? I don't know. Her question stemmed, though, she says... I've never been with a man. I'm a virgin. How is it possible that I could be impregnated? That's inconceivable. Pardon the pun. You, you may get that in a minute. How is it that that's going to happen? And she says, nevertheless, let it be done to me according to your word. That's faith. She moved from fear to an understanding of grace and to faith. Look at verse 45, Elizabeth's response to her when she left and went to see her relative who was also pregnant supernaturally. Verse 45, Elizabeth says to her, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment what was spoken to her by the Lord. Mary believed. She believed with all her heart. She didn't understand it all. But if God said it, that settled it. She believed and she trusted God. She believed that God was going to fulfill his great promise through her. The promise that he made to Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14, which says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which Jesus fulfilled and Mary fulfilled. One miracle was a stretch, having kids in old age. The other was utterly impossible. But what Mary believed in was the God of the impossible that God could make it happen. God was a God of the possible. He made it happen. And in verse 37, nothing is impossible with him. Third response. Faith, fear led to faith, led to submission. Verse 38, And Mary said, 
Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Did you catch that? The tone in her voice was a coming undertone. It is, okay, I'm going to come under. I don't understand, but I'm going to come under. And she uses this word to describe her disposition. It's the word bond slave. In the Greek, the word is a willing, voluntary servant. I'm your servant. Do with me what you want to do. That's an attitude of submission. That's an attitude of willingness. It's, it's her saying, I choose to willingly come under and comply with the will of God no matter what. I'm a bond slave. And her fourth response was praise. Praise. Look beyond the text of verse 46. Mary's great magnificat. It says, And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. You see her worship beginning to flow, beginning to be excited. He has, verse 48, this is so great, regarded the humble state of his, there's the word again, bond slave. That's me. For, for, for behold, from this time all generations will count me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And she just starts spilling over praise for the different attributes of God, some of which her baby even possessed. All of which he possessed, I should say. Verse 50, His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He's done mighty deeds with His arm. He's scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He's brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and He sent the rich away empty-handed. Verse 54, He has given help to His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His descendants forever. And that's praise. She moved from being gripped by fear at the presence of a holy uh, presence of holiness to an understanding and appreciation for grace, which moved her to believe and trust in the promises of God that resulted in a willing submission heart that flowed into a life of praise. That's her response. What about you? How about you? This is how the shepherds responded. This is how Zechariah eventually responded. This is how the Magi and the shepherds, Elizabeth, all responded. How about you? How will you respond to Jesus? Same way. You must first come to an understanding that you stand before a holy God and that you have something to fear if you don't know His grace. Because in the presence of holiness, you are standing as an exposed sinner and you must face Him and must answer for your sins, which should lead you to an appropriation and understanding of God's grace that God is willing to cover your sin Because He punished His Son, Jesus, in your place, who endured all that you were meant to pay for, He took your sin, and He paid it. And this should drive you to faith, to trust Him, and Him alone as the only Savior, the only way to heaven. And when you trust Christ, you would have a heart-crushing remorse and repentance over your sin, and you would submit your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord which will result in a heart filled with worship and praise, both from your lips and into your life, both from now and into eternity. Is this you? If you don't know Christ, let me plead with you. Let me beg you to not let another year go by without Christmas missing the whole point. I don't want you to do that. Turn to Christ and you'll live. Turn to Christ, the babe in the manger who was born to die for you. Receive Him and cling to Him. And we're here to help you with that. Christ was born for you as your Savior. Christian, the chorus of the song, What Child Is This? 
is your application. Listen to it. This, this is Christ your King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste, that means run as fast as you can. Haste to bring him praise, the babe, the son of Mary. Let's pray together. Our God and Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you to do just that, to offer you all that we have, and that's our lives. And meager as it is and as condescending as it would be for you to take our worship, we come and bow and say with the hymn, O come, let us adore him. Thank you, Father, so much for the privilege of worship. Thank you for the Son who was born, who is God, God, very God, who became a man to pay for our sins as Savior and comes again as King. Lord, if there is anyone here who does not know you, I pray that this morning, before they leave, they would trust you, that they would move from fear to faith and from faith to submission and from submission to worship and that you would get the glory. Thank you, Father, for this text. Impress our hearts deeply with it and give us opportunities to proclaim good news of a great joy to all the world that a Savior has been born for us. In Christ's name and in his name we pray. Amen.